Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Uh, we've been in a series titled Red Flags. We started that series last week, and we titled it Red Flags because we're exploring a scripture uh, that kind of gives us warning to things that we should watch out for, not only in other people, but also in ourselves. And so we all know what a red flag is, right? We know what a red flag is. It's out there to warn you that there is something wrong, or there is a threat, or there is something that's a little odd that you should pay attention to that will affect you. So I have some examples of red flags, and I'd like your participation. If you uh, would, with me, tell me your response to some of these things. For example, when you text a new friend, you met this person, it's awesome, and you think, man, we hit it off, and you exchange numbers, and you text this person, but the text bubble is green. Red flag right? Red flag. (laughs) I'm getting thumbs down from Android users. (laughs) Hey, red flag, man. How about when a friend is telling you about this exotic meat that they're eating, and they come up to you and say, you got to try it. You have to try it. And then they say, it tastes just like chicken. Red flag, right? Red flag. Any, anybody, anytime somebody tells me, hey, it tastes just like chicken, I'll say, I'll, say, I'll have the chicken. It's fine. You keep your grilled python. It's fine. I, I, you, you can have your squirrels on the stick. It's, just keep it to yourself. I'll, I'll stay with the chicken. How about when uh, your so-called friend tries to set you up on a date, and they say, uh, this person is awesome. Let me find a good picture of them. No, not this one. A good picture. I need to find a good <laughs> Is that too mean? Is that too mean? That's a red flag. It's a red flag. Uh, when they text you and they leave you, uh, when you text them and they leave you on red. Know what it means to be left on red? It's when you get to like the read receipt. You know they read it, but they won't reply. Yeah, red flag. Red flag. And finally... When somebody you just met likes a post from you from like five years ago. Red flag, guys. Red flag. <coughs> Those are silly examples of red flags, but, you know, we, 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 we are talking about uh, red flags, and last week we, we, we talked about a block of red flags, and we called it the red flags of self-involvement. This week... We're moving on, and if you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Red Flags of Disregard. The Red Flags of Disregard. I think we have grown accustomed because of uh, the culture that we live in. We've grown accustomed to judging people, to dismissing people, and to disregarding people uh, too easily because we have been conditioned to a shallow view of people. So before we get to this, our passage, I want us to have a good and healthy perspective because I believe as 
a culture, we don't generally have a mature view of the individual. We need to, hit, we need to have a, a mature view of the individual, but, but we don't because we have made it easy for people to lose their sensibilities and to become judgmental to the point that we can judge somebody with an all or nothing mindset. And we don't do that to close people, but we tend to do that with, with uh, uh, the masses, right? You see someone's post, and immediately you determine if that person is all good or all bad. And if somebody is good, they must be good always. If somebody is bad, they probably are bad all the time. But this kind of view lacks maturity. It lacks empathy. Because no one is all bad. And no one is all good. In fact, we've heard passages of Jesus saying that He and the Father are one. Right? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm a reflection. I'm a representation. I and the Father are one. But Jesus understood the difference between living in the earthly body, living in the flesh, as a reflection of God, needing God, and being goodness itself. There's a big difference there. So much so that he said, uh, when a ruler asked him, Luke chapter 18, he said, a good teacher, the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't even answer his question first. He just addressed the, the way that he, that he called Jesus. He said, why, why, why do you call me good? Which is something that puts us off sometimes because we think, of course Jesus was good. Jesus was 100% human, but he was also 100% God. But Jesus himself says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What was he saying? Was Jesus saying, admitting that he was not good? No, Jesus was aware that as long as we live in this earthly body, we, we are subject to its pitfalls and to its temptations. And even though he was 100% human, and even though he was 100% God, his divine nature didn't come from his flesh. His divine nature came from his spirit. But what Jesus did is that he chose perfectly to live by the spirit. But make no mistake about it, Jesus was aware of the pitfalls of living in an earthly body of living in the flesh. He experienced the decadence of temptation about, and what we experience living as a human on earth. That's why he famously said in that moment of, 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 in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, Jesus won every battle, battle against the flesh. And we, we know from the scriptures that there is this constant battle between our flesh and our spirit. Jesus won every battle to the point of death. That's why he is our supreme example. That's why he is the one we look to. But how many times have you been in that same place? Where there was a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And you were in that tension. And how many times have you lost that battle? 
How many times did you find yourself in, 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 that, in that place where my mind is telling me no? But my body, right? <laughs> I was wondering if I should refer to that. There is tension in the room now. <laughs> He's telling me, worship the Lord. <laughs> Everybody's like, what's going on? This is church. But you don't live in church all the time, do you? You don't. There is a tension between the flesh and the spirit. And the question is, where do you draw the line? If we are to judge people properly, if we are to judge others in a mature way, where do you draw the line? And so the scriptures are clear. The lines that we should not cross are, are, are clear to us. And we should, this is what the scripture says, there are things that we should not engage with. Things that we should not do and people we should not relate to. And uh, so let's just go to the scripture. It's, it's a, it's, I, I felt the need to introduce it in a way that is proper because this scripture, it, it really goes in. All right. And this series, actually, it's, it, it digs in. So let's, let's read together. It's on, on the screens. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Scripture says, but understand this. There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. Just look at this list. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, and then he closes with a bow. He says, avoid such people. Now, these are major red flags, lines that we should not cross. But before we move forward, I want to I emphasize again, I want to clarify that earlier in this letter, Paul tells Timothy already to be kind to everyone. So this doesn't excuse us from the commandment to love one another so what he says by avoiding such people here doesn't mean cast them out to utter darkness because they didn't listen to their mind, right? Because they, 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 so, so they, they, how do you say the passive succumb? Succame? <laughs> Succumbed? Because they submitted to the temptation of the flesh. It's not an all or nothing thing but it is a warning it's a warning to not associate yourself with the people who cross those lines in other words these are red flags that we ought to watch out for he's saying don't marry people who practice these things don't be become business partners with people who practice these things don't invite them to leadership positions in your division in your job and and don't don't let don't don't lend them your heart are they still welcome? Of course. Are they still worthy of love? Yes. Are they still valuable? They're still 
valuable? Should you take counsel from them and, and, and have them be an important voice in your life? No. No. That's a mature way of engaging these problems. It's about selecting who is influencing you. It's about selecting what gets to form you and, and form your opinions and form your life. So today we're going to talk about the next block of red flags. Uh, and, and as I said, we're calling this, these the red flags of disregard. The red flags of disregard. Second, second verse in that chapter, uh, Paul writes, For people will be lovers of self. We talked about that last week. Lovers of money, proud and arrogant. And this week we're going to talk about the next ones, which is abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. So let's start with abusive. The word in the original Greek here had a verbal, has a verbal connotation. The Greek word is blasphemous, which is where we take the word blaspheme or the verb to blaspheme in the English. And what he's really saying here is, you know people who go on and on talking about other people? People who go on and on selling, saying terrible things about other people? They never have a good report about anybody. They never have something good to say. I'm not talking about people who come to you because they've been hurt and they're opening up and they're, they're trusting you with their, with their problems and hoping that they'll find in you good counsel. I'm not talking about a friend who's warning you of a person's bad character, trying to free you from a relationship that is toxic. I'm not talking about those conversations. I'm talking about somebody who takes pleasure in speaking evil of others. See, because that's what is blaspheme. To blaspheme is to speak evil of someone and sometimes to speak evil of God. Now, there are people who are overcome by this mindset. They are overcome by this idea. And this is not just a mindset. This is a spiritual stronghold. I worked with a man like that. Um, five days into my job, okay, I started working five days into the job. We went on a, <clears throat> on a job call. We were, uh, uh, worked as consultants, and, and we took a break for lunch, went to this restaurant, and this person started telling me about all the issues uh, with his wife, how, how she didn't care for him, and he begins to tell me details of their intimate life that were not pleasing and it was disappointing and on and on. He just kept talking and talking. And then he talked about other friends and business associates and he just talking and talking. And he wasn't seeking counsel. <coughs> Excuse me. He wasn't seeking counsel. He wasn't looking for help. It was so dishonoring. It was, it was it, you know, when there's this stench of disregard, you just feel like, man, that's, that's not good. Now, I continued to work for that man, and, and I helped him. I covered him at work and supported him in my role, but I knew in my heart that I couldn't lend him my heart. I knew it, that I, couldn't, I could not go to him for counsel on important matters. I had had enough people experience to know that that was a major red flag. 
Right? And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really pay attention to guy code. I don't care what your guy code is. I don't care what, what your locker room policy is. I don't trust the judgment or the people skills of any man who will trash talk his wife to his friends. It's just not good, let alone to somebody they just met two weeks ago. And so my instance was like, hey, listen, if a man will talk badly, thank you, my friend, if a man will talk badly uh, about his wife to you, he's going to talk badly about you to somebody else. No doubt about it. Even to his wife, probably. And this is also true of wives or, or women, you know, who talk badly about their husbands. It's one thing if there's trouble at home and you're looking for help and you need somebody and, and you're trying to find a solution. Uh, uh, but it's another thing when it's just playing this honor, playing this respect for the sake of putting the other person down. And some people, that's, that's how it is. It's a characteristic, characteristic of a blasphemer or what the scripture call here an abuser. Somebody who takes pleasure in putting other people down. They never honor. They never encourage. They never lift up. There seems to be a disregard of people that is rooted in their hearts. And many times a disregard for God. And if there's someone in your family, someone that you work with, someone you have interacted with, who fits this description, who's always talking about somebody else, the scripture is saying, avoid them. Avoid them. Talking about the boss, talking about the core workers, talking about the classmates. You don't need to let that junk get on you. You don't need to let that junk get in your spirit. You don't need to entertain it. Politely change the subject. Politely try to talk about somebody else or something else. Not somebody else. <laughs> something else. Or politely walk away. Leave that conversation. You don't need that. See, we're called to be encouragers. We're called to lift people up. We're called to, to overlook the errors and the mistakes, to, to forgive people. Now, the question might be, is there hope for somebody like that? Yes, there is hope for somebody like that. Because the very writer, the person who wrote these words, the Apostle Paul, considered himself to be one of these blasphemers. Look at what he wrote to Timothy earlier in an earlier letter. He says, Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I was once a blasphemer. I was once a persecutor. I was a violent man. But I was shown mercy because of the grace of God and because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So yes, there's hope. The second uh, red flag that we're addressing today and these red flags of disregard is the one that he says, disobedient to their parents. 
Now, this is a moment in the letter of Paul when he begins to write words that are the opposite of what they should be. Just like in the English language, we have words where the letter I changes the meaning of the word. It makes it the opposite, right? Words like regular, irregular, mortal, immortal, uh, responsible, irresponsible, mature, immature. In the Greek, the letter A does that. And so uh, Paul begins to list about seven things in here that, that have that modifier. Where he's saying, hey, it should be this way, but they're not doing that. And, and this word disobedience, which in English we have the same modifier. This means whatever comes after is the opposite, right? So disobedience means the opposite of obedience. The word here is the word pytho, which means obedience. But in other parts of the scripture also means trust. It also means persuasion. So in the context, what he's saying is people who do not trust, who, 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 are, who, who disregard their parents, disregard their counsel, distrust their counsel, are unpersuaded by their guidance whatsoever. Now I must confess, when I read this, every time I read this actually, I feel like Paul is playing one thing is not like the others. Because out of the whole list, I feel like this is the one thing that for most of us or many of us, we have to use our judgment, right? We think about growing up and we think about becoming our own person. And if you match, uh, 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 if you match being disobedient to the parents, to some of the things that he says, being proud, arrogant, abusive, treacherous, brutal, you might think, well, oh, disagreeing, being disobedient with your parents might not be as bad sometimes, right? We live in a culture that elevates us making our own path. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. Becoming our own person or, or getting away from under parental cover. But those two are not the same things. We cannot conflate those two things. The matter here, what matters here is is what we are, who we are, and, and, and the context with which we must uh, uh, live our lives, and, and, and the instruction from the scripture for us to have a healthy family environment. You got to understand that the same God who said, a man shall leave his father and mother and become one with his wife, also said, honor your father and mother as the Lord God has commanded you, so that you may live a long life and that it may go well with you in the land of, of the Lord your God. The first commandment that we have received with a promise. It's like this. Right? You didn't pick your family, but you are called to make the most of it. This is not whether your parents did right by you. This is not about rating your parents' performance to see if they deserve honor or if they deserve whether you care about them. It's not even about them. This is about you. This is about us. It's about the kind of person we're going to be. This is the kind of person that we are called to be. This is the kind of person God is calling us to be. God designed the family to be the central unit of society. Your home is where you become. 
Your home is where you learn to overcome. And you might say, JD, but what if my parents were not great? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a serious and very valid proposition. What if my upbringing was rough? What if it was toxic? What if it was not healthy? That's the reality of many of us. And I would, I would assume these days it's probably the reality of the majority of us. And that's where I'm reminded of my dad's story. See, my dad is a great example. Some of you met my dad. He was, my parents were here last summer. And my dad, he was brought up in a tough environment. He was one of 10 kids who grew up in a farm. And he was, my, my grandfather was a tough man, rigid. Um, his mom was a loving soul. She was sweet and gentle. But his father, my dad's father, he was tough. And my dad left home at 12 years of age to make a life for himself, to go to school. Because the farm where he lived at, he could only, he could only get a fourth grade education. And, and so he left home to continue to, to get educated. And he overcame so much. He grew up Christian, preached his first sermon, sermon at 13 years of age, and served in the military, got two degrees, became a university professor, started an ice cream business before I was born. So, yes, I had ice cream every day growing up. Every single day. And all of that he did while serving the church at a high capacity. He was a youth pastor. He was a men's ministry pastor. He founded a Christian Business Association in our town. And he started youth conferences. He wrote songs. And at 40, around 40 years old, he planted the church that he pastors still to this day. He's like 73, 74 years old. And he still pastors that church today. He's young, vibrant, brilliant man. All the while, he was still growing his business and raising four kids. I'm one of four. I don't know how he did it. I know how he did it. My mom. That's how he did it. <laughs> but his life is a phenomenal story of someone who came from nothing, who had a really tough, had life's obstacles stacked against him. But every step of the way, he cared for his parents. My dad would pick up his mother every Sunday, bring her to church. For years he did that. His father was an alcoholic, became an alcoholic, and was constantly drunk. My dad found different ways to support them, to honor them. Every time we would go to the grocery store, there would be a cart for us and a cart for grandpa and grandma. I remember that as a kid. And we always get two of each. And it would go one for us and one for grandpa and grandma. When their house burned down, my dad found a way to buy them a house and, and, and relocate them. It wasn't because we were rich. We weren't. It was because his dad, it wasn't because his dad deserved it either. But it was because it was his dad. Most of us would say his dad didn't deserve it. Most of us would say his dad shouldn't be treated such a way. But it was because of honor. And I never heard one word out of my dad's mouth about his father, about his alcoholism, about how badly he treated his kids, about how badly he treated his mom. There were times my grandma came to stay with us, and we as kids, we just thought grandma missed us. We didn't know that my, my grandpa, my, 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 my drunk 
grandpa, grandpa, grump, drank, my, my drunk grandpa. <laughs> I'm having mad gab in my mind, guys. <laughs> I didn't know that my drunk grandpa had been rough with my grandma, and that's why she had to find shelter in our home. My dad covered his father's sins. And in doing so, he set a new standard for us. So you might think it's not fair. But what was he doing? He said he was setting a new standard for us. And I remember my dad sitting with his father when I was little and his father was still alive. His father, who in comparison to my dad, had accomplished very little. But he would give my dad counsel in life, decisions, business, politics. And my dad wouldn't dismiss him. He would just ponder. He would just listen. My grandma would give my dad advice and he would just listen and ponder. He never dismissed them, never disregarded their counsel. He didn't always follow them, didn't always do what they asked, but he was honoring. And today, I honor my parents the best I can. And a big part of it is because I saw it modeled in my dad's life. He didn't feel like he needed to turn his back on his father to, to disown his father, even though his father wasn't the best father. And I want to encourage you to honor the scripture. It, sometimes it doesn't make sense. It feels like we need, we need to, to, to uh, see justice with our own hands. And, and I don't know your situation. I don't know where you come from. But I, 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 let, me, let me encourage you to trust the scriptures and to trust that God has your best interests at heart and to trust that he is a just and fair God. He will take care of every situation. Let me encourage you to establish a culture of honor and a culture of trust in your home now. And part of that is having as good a relationship as you possibly can under the conditions that you're facing with your parents. To do the best to honor your parents. And I know sometimes the family dynamics can get difficult, but ask the Lord for wisdom. If, if you're in a moment that's difficult, ask the Lord, say, God, how can, I, how can I properly honor my parents? I don't know how to do it. I know many times it's hard, but I believe God is, uses this commandment not only to, to heal your relationship with your parents, but to heal your family line and to begin a new standard in your family. And the next red flag is, or our last red flag is ungrateful. That's the next thing that Paul lists. And I feel like lack of gratitude is self-defeating enough that most of us don't need to be warned about it, right? Most, most of it, most, most of the times, if we see someone who is ungrateful, something just on the inside just turns off in us. Because ungrateful people will inevitably push people away. And it's a fact that sometimes we go through seasons in life where we, are in a, we find seasons of loneliness. Sometimes when you move, when you find yourself in a new job, a new capacity, a friend moves away, you can find yourself in a season of loneliness. We all go through that sometimes. However, if you find that there's a constant lack of meaningful relationships, I challenge you to do a quick inventory, and this might, this might be a little bit you know, uncomfortable for you 
to hear, but I'm going to say it anyways. Ask the question, am I full of gratitude or am I ungrateful? Am I practicing gratitude in my life? Or have I become an ungrateful person? Have I become bitter, become bitter about my situation? Now you may say, JD, I'm, I'm not ungrateful. I simply have high standards. Plus, you know, everything kind of sucks right now. Not good. My job is not right. My marriage is a little tough. And my friends are distant. And my family is... Things are not so good. Money's tight. You know, if that's your mindset, I got to tell you, it doesn't, doesn't inspire gratitude. And if that's, that's how you see life right now, let me encourage you. I'm saying this in love. Okay, I'm saying this in love. Those challenges that you're facing may be right, but that kind of attitude doesn't help. It really doesn't help. There's a reason why the scriptures are so strong on gratitude. It really changes your mind. It changes your heart. Well, let's go through some scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. I'm reading from the NIV version. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. The first thing you do, enter his, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, with, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are also strong against complaining. It's a double whammy, guys. We get it from both sides. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Do everything without grumbling. Or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God which without fault in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine then you will shine among them like stars in the sky you want to shine in the world you want to shine in your in your work at work you want to shine in your profession. You want to shine in your career. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. James 5.9 says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge, big J, that means God is standing at the door. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Offer hospitality to anyone without grumbling. See, un ungratefulness in our hearts causes us to disregard important things in our relationships, whether it's professional relationships, which, whether it's work. And you can identify that in other people. But I really want us to focus on, on our attitude because it, uh, gratitude really changes things. See, the ungrateful person disregards the effort. The ungrateful person disregards the sacrifice. She disregards the, 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 the outcome, the value, the will, the love, the investment. They pay attention to nothing else but their own satisfaction. 
They lack charisma. And because of it, their relationships suffer. They lack faith. And because of it, their outlook suffers. See, an ungrateful person becomes an inconsiderate person. Because to be grateful is to remember. It's to value the effort. It's to value the sacrifice. It's to see the love. It's to see the investment, the investment and to value, not only from God, but from others as well. Friends, let me encourage you to be grateful and to remember, because to be grateful is to remember. Don't give your ear to people who are ungrateful. Don't give your ear to people who are entitled, who complain of the food when their bellies are full. Know what I'm talking about? Who complain about life when God has given them so much. People who are alive, have able bodies, have health, have mobility, have people loving them, are, are in a community uh, that, that is surrounding them, have God who is for them and still insist on being ungrateful. Still insist on being ungrateful. They need to grow up. They need to grow up from their childish ways. Don't coddle that. Don't coddle that attitude uh, by thinking that in doing so, you'll be a good friend. Don't validate the complaints. Point their eyes to gratitude. Remind them that they are blessed. Remind them of the good they have. A lesson from God is undoubtedly coming to them. Do that and do what the scripture is saying. Watch out for those red flags and build a healthy distance. Friends, I believe God is calling us all to grow up. To grow up in our faith. To grow up as believers. To approach relationships with maturity. That doesn't mean we are dishonoring. That doesn't mean it's all or nothing. That means God wants us to... God, God wants to us to maintain purity, to be, our hearts to be pure from ungodliness so that we can continue to be a light in a dark world. Let me remind you that you're blessed. Let me remind you that God is for you. Let me remind you that you are called at such a time as this to be a light in the world, that God is for you. So let's remove from our mouths any blasphemous talk. Let's not be the kind of people who talk about others uh, and talk evil about others and find pleasure in it. Let's be encouragers. Let's not be arrogant children thinking that we know best, but let's honor the best we can those who have come before us. Our parents, our grandparents. And let us be grateful. Remembering the goodness of God. Remembering what He has provided us. If we watch out for those red flags, if we open our eyes and our hearts to what God has for us, I believe that we will live the life of victory that God has for us and we'll be able to walk freely without those weights, without those sins, and you will become an example to those who need. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. 
Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.